0: She's a firefly. Got lost, but she's following her own light. On the outside, looking through the window. The city lights shine bright, but she still glows. We are all miracles and must make the most of our limited time here. Each of us have these unique gifts to contribute to the world. And it's our job to develop these gifts and give them away. That's why I created the preschool SLP podcast. The preschool SLP is about working smarter to create real change in ourselves and in others. Being an SLP is a mission. Let's discuss topics that matter. What are the game changing strategies? How can we treat the whole child? How can we create the shiniest versions of ourselves? and of our clients. We're here at the drawing board for a reason. You bring your own unique gifts. Together, let's create better. Today's
1: episode is so important, we are going to talk about AAC. And if you're like me, augmentative and alternative communication is something that I struggle with, because 100% of my caseload does not leave me fluently communicating with their AAC devices. And they're not able to novelly and spontaneously communicate their wants and their needs and to comment and to use language for social purposes and conversation. Many of the students that I work with do not reach that level when they graduate preschool and go on to school from me. They are using augmentative and alternative communication but not at a fluent level in which they're able to express all of their ideas easily. So this for me is this ongoing goal and I'm not gonna give up until 100% of my students are able to fluently communicate what they're thinking. So I go to all the workshops, I try all the devices and still I struggle but i'm at that drawing board every single day and i'm learning from my mistakes and i'm doing better so today i'm going to share with you my three biggest blunders my three mistakes that i've made in aac so that you can learn from my mess and then i'm going to share the message behind these mistakes how i learn from my mistakes and how we can do better so before I begin I'm just going to say why is AAC so tricky because it is especially tricky. There should be two reasons to this. One, it's very it's always changing. So the latest conference I went to was talking about a new app that is out where you can use eye gaze on your iPad and by the purchase of an app and it's very reliable. So this is game-changing, and with this kind of new technology always coming out, you always have to be on your toes, and you always have to be ready to adapt like a chameleon and try and learn new things to empower your students. The second reason I find AAC difficult is because it's so divisive. Unfortunately, people believe there's one way that's better than the other ways, and they fight amongst themselves, even over the same child, and which device you should adapt for the child is this the child should only use one device. And as a result, people don't realize that we're all rowing in the same direction. We're all waves of one ocean. And the whole goal at the end of it is to increase the child's ability to communicate. And the more modes that the child has to communicate, the better. Unfortunately, there's so much energy spent on against one another and what the choice of communication device is that it's not spent in moving the child and propelling the child forward and respecting that there's more than one way to communicate. So I find AAC to be something that is very challenging because of those two reasons in themselves. So let's talk about three mistakes that I have made in the past so that you don't have to make these mistakes. And you can simply learn from my mistakes instead of making them yourself and move forward and innovate practice. The first mistake that I've made is I've moved the symbols around on the board. Don't do this ever. There's no reason to move symbols around the board. So that would be the same as your keyboard. If I were to take the letters in your keyboard and move the symbols around, Now, if I did that, you could not efficiently communicate using your keyboard. Don't do that. So you know that we use a QWERTY keyboard. And the reason we use a QWERTY keyboard is it slows us down the way the letters are set out. Now, we did that because typewriters used to jam from people typing too quickly. Now, why we don't have that problem anymore? Why haven't we changed the keyboard to a more efficient setup in which we could type more quickly? Because, If you change the keyboard, you are going to change that. You're going to turn people's world upside down Because because we all have these consistent motor patterns that we've learned through repetition. And if we change those motor patterns, we're going to have motor interference. It'll be very difficult. We won't have a blank slate. We've learned QWERTY. So it's the same thing with our children with AAC devices. The way their symbols are set up is like a QWERTY keyboard. If we move them around, we totally turn their world upside down. And all of those motor pla- patterns that they've used on a repeated basis become messed with. So don't move the symbols around. I used to do this when I was using PECs when I started off, and you had to test whether or not the child was comprehending the symbol, and you would move them in different areas. Now we know better. We know that children learn how to communicate through experience, not through having their t- comprehension test. They learn what a word means by using the word and having a result from using that word. So, we don't do that. No better than to do that, but I used to move the symbols around. Now I know better, keep the symbols in the same place always. That's the keyboard. So, let's talk about the second mistake I've made my number two AAC blunder. The second mistake that I've made was thinking that we have to select one communication device and use that device across all settings and with all people. No. The problem with that is that we use multimodal forms of communication. So today you've probably used six different forms of communication. You probably talked on your phone, you probably emailed, you might have used an iPad, you wrote, you talked. So you've used so many different forms of communication today. The children with AAC are no different. The more forms of communication that they have, the better. If they have a core board that they use, if they have a LAMP device or Proloquo device or higher tech device such as TouchChat, and maybe even they use PECs somewhere, the more ways to communicate, the better. That's great. We have six different ways of communicating. Why can't these children have six different ways of communicating as well? Also, they probably can't use a high-tech device such as an iPad at the beach or in the bathtub. So there's limitations to that. So go ahead and give them the low-tech paper and pencil method of paper boards. Give them everything. I can tell you a story about my past. I never really bought into packs. And the reason for that is because there's aspects of PECS that are very good, the picture exchange communication system, but there's also aspects of PECS that are very bad. So as I mentioned before, when you have these canned intervention approaches, approach them like a swan. Swallow the milk, what nourishes you, and spit out the dirt. So with PECS, what I didn't like about PECS was the hand over hand, picking up a symbol, putting on a sentence strip, picking up the symbol strip and releasing it to another person. What the research shows is that's an extremely difficult skill for children with autism to do. It's like that when you go into the grocery store and they have those robot arms that pick up the stuffed animals and they go to a place and then you can win the stuffed animal after you spend $10 in coins if you're really lucky. It's really just a way to throw your money away, P.S., But that's when it gets very difficult. It requires a great deal of motor differentiation, which is challenging for children with autism, motor coordination, visual motor integration. These are three extremely weak areas for children with autism, and it requires all of the above. So having that be a mode of communication makes no sense whatsoever. So I never drank that Kool-Aid. Now. When I work with children, of course, they're using PECS in their ABA. They're using PECS in the classroom. And Kelly, if you're not doing PECS in your therapy, then you're going against the group. You're going against the team's intervention plan. This is like huge. This is get you in trouble with your boss huge. So what I would do is I would pretend that I was using Pax when actually I was using an aspect of Pax. I was using sentence strips and I was using the sentence strips because the research indicates that the sentence strips are very powerful in improving joint attention. And they're also very powerful in improving speech outcomes. So we'd have the sentence strips out and the child would say, look at blah, blah, blah. And so many children developed speech through this method. Did I adapt any other aspect of PECS? No. Did I get in trouble? No. Did I keep it hidden under radar for fear of getting in trouble because of peer pressure? Yes. And because of course the ABA therapy is like, you must use the same form of communication across all settings and with all individuals. And these are the symbols we use and these are the photos we use. And this is what you do everywhere you go, <laughs> which is not communication because communication is spontaneous and novel. But sometimes you just go under the radar. <laughs> and that's a case in which I've been going under the radar. But like I said, there's no approach that is all good but I've known no approach that's all bad. And the sentence strips are pretty powerful. Okay, let's look at my third blunder. My third blunder is using hand-over-hand prompting in the beginning when I was using PEX. And I'm going to tell you why it's such a bad idea. We're not even going to get into the moral aspects of hand-over-hand, which is should you not be touching a child's body. Um, We're not even going to talk about that. We're just going to talk about from the evidence base that we currently have. And what we know is this, that we know that children each have unique sensory motor profiles, they each have unique bodies, and they each have unique motor skills and a unique history, neuromuscular history of what they have experienced with their bodies. So the way that these children And you're going to see it if you use high-tech devices such as LAMP or Proloquo. They all point differently. So I have children that very fluently can manipulate an iPad, and they're using their middle finger to do so. And they have their hands off like Cookie Monster, but they know not to touch anything else on the iPad. I have other children that are thumb users that use the side of their thumb really fluently. And I have this one child currently that uses a pinky and he has great accuracy. Now they're doing what's most efficient for their body. They know better than anyone that is a movement therapist or a physical therapist with a bazillion letters behind their name. They are the expert in their body. And if we give them motivation and purpose to communicate, they are going to use that body in the most efficient manner for them. They're the experts. So I might use a pointer like this, and that's what's right for me, but that's not what's right for the kiddo. So keep your hands off the children. You have no idea what the most efficient way is for that child to move their body. They do. So that said, do I ever touch the child when I use augmentative and alternative communication? I actually do and that's because sometimes when i have the ipad out the child will palm the ipad with all five fingers and that's very frustrating because then the ipad doesn't do anything at all so what i do is i'll just take one finger and help them curl the other ones under and I'll put my finger right there, and then I move it away really quickly. That really works magic. And then the child is able to manipulate the device and the device responds to their actions because you can only touch one finger on at a time for the iPad to work. So do I ever, do I not touch the child at all? Actually, I'm gonna be honest with you. I do put my finger in really quickly to help them out so they're not really frustrated and saying, why are you giving me this broken device that doesn't work? Now, knowing this, I also want to do another thing that I find is I find that people, when it comes to how do you, what are we responsible for? So you're not touching the child, but does that mean you're just going to give an iPad to the child and say, okay, go with it? I would say no. I would say the thing to do is to meet the child where the child is and to challenge the child. So look at the 80% challenge point that's so well researched where the child is able to independently use the device 80% accuracy. So four out of five times the child's able to do things something correctly. That is challenge point. That means the child is challenged and the child's learning. If you go lower than 80%, they're like 70% accuracy, two things happen. You risk frustration and you also risk habituation of poorly learned motor behaviors in which arid motor patterns habituate. So what you do with a device such as LAMP or any of the other devices is you in the beginning, you success breeds success. You set it up in a scaffolding where it's challenging at an 80% accuracy level. You hide the symbols that they're not going to use at this point. Maybe it's helping verbs. Hide that line of symbols so that it's more salient where the symbols are that they do need to use at this time. When they're 80% accurate, then you're gonna show them 90% accurate, show them more symbols. That's too easy for them. Okay, great, they can say, look at toys. Now let's give them a selection of toys to choose from. Take it up a level when they go to the next screen. So they say, look at toys. And then a a menu of toys comes up for them to choose from. So AAC is always a dance. It's not one-way communication where you go to a conference and someone at a conference says, start all of your children at 108 core boards because we presume competence and do that with every child you work with. Don't do that. That's not communication. Communication is two-way. Look at the child you work with meet the child where they are and challenge the child at an 80% accuracy challenge point with experience, take it up a level and then take it up another level and then take it up another level. This is scaffolding. It is tried and trued in the research. And if with failure, take it down a level, make it easier. If it's below 80%, it's a dance backwards and forwards and backwards and forwards and it's dynamic. So that is the role you're going to play. You're not gonna touch the child and help the child and show the child how to move their body when the child knows how to move the body, not you. But you are gonna set them up for success and you're gonna say, this is what, I presume competence, Yeah, A, yes. But I also wanna make sure that you have some accuracy, that you have 80% accuracy. So I'm gonna set the stage. I'm going to put out a board where you are independent and you're accurate 80% of the time. And when you're accurate 90% of the time, I'm gonna take it up a level. And then I'm gonna take it up another level. And then I'm gonna take it up another level. Oh, it's too challenging. I'll take it down a level. But I'm always gonna stay at that 80%, that 80% point and use scaffolding and going up and going down from a moment to moment basis. So those are my three blunders. Those are three mistakes that I've made in AAC. I'm gonna make a million more. And I'm probably making lots of mistakes today that I don't know about yet. But the important thing is that I'm always at the drawing board and that I always believe and I'm always striving for better. And I'm always striving for every child on my caseload to leave me as a fluent communicator, whatever means possible, whatever they use that they're able to freely express their ideas. So thank you for joining me at the drawing board today. It means so much to me. And take these three three mistakes, and those are number one, don't do what I do, move the symbols around. Keep the symbols in the same place. As you can see, I just wanted to show you, when you look at core boards, it's just like the core boards we use. First of all, you might have the core bigger, right? And then over time, the core is going to get smaller. It's just like your keyboard. The same QWERTY keyboard is on your iPhone or Android device for you to type in, and everything's in the same place. It just got smaller. Nothing has ever moved around. So the second lesson that I had from my mess was thinking that we have to all use the same communication device. Today, it's much different. Today, I work with children with high-tech devices and low-tech devices. I give them everything. The more modes of communication they have, the better. Don't fight with each other. You're all rowing in the same direction. We're all waves in an ocean, and that ocean is all about communication. We're all moving to give this child more ways to communicate. The third blunder that I had that you can learn from is hand-over-hand prompting. You have no idea how a child should point to a button. Only the child knows how they should point to the button, and that's going to change on every single child you work with. So the best thing you can do is set up the communication board for 80% success and put your hands up and stand back. I did tell you that I'll stick out a finger every now and then and help the child to tuck the other fingers under so that the iPad device actually does work because that's very important. Otherwise it's super frustrating for the children because they're trying and nothing's happening. So those are the three Messes that I want you to learn from my message, and the three messages I have from these messages. And I want you to take all of this information and roll up your sleeves and make the world a better place. And you are first.